I would invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, and verse 12. I echo Gene's uh, welcome to you. If you're a visitor or you haven't been here for a while, we're certainly glad that you are here. And if we can help you in any way to make your visit uh, more helpful, uh, please let us know. We'd love to get to know you. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have preserved it. Thank you that you've given us your spirit to teach us, to give us illumination and application. And we would ask that you would make us all pliable, soft clay in your hand. For those here that don't know Christ, that have yet to come into new birth, have experienced the transformation of being in Christ, may that happen today. And Lord, for your people, may we be Uh, reaffirmed and understand the tremendous privilege we have of being a Christian. And may it be by seeing what we are in Adam or were in Adam and glory that you would show grace to such unworthy people. And so, Father, thank you. And thank you for the singing. Thank you for uh, the privilege we have to worship. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we continue our march uh, through Romans, we find ourselves in Romans chapter 5, chapter 5 and verse 12. Uh, If you go through chapter 5, you will see that there are three uh, bridges. In verse 1, there's therefore. That's the bridge word, therefore. And then as we read today, in verse 12, there's another bridge, therefore. And in verse 18, still yet a third bridge as it connects uh, to the, uh, the past as well as looking to the future. Now, if you take the snapshot, the bird's, the bird's eye view, or maybe even the 30,000 view of Romans, where we've gone so far, Paul starts out in Romans 1 all the way to chapter 3 and verse 20. He brings condemnation upon all. Uh, he, uh, he brings uh, the Jew to the bar of God's justice as guilty. He brings the Gentile. He says the law affirms us as sinners as well as conscience. And so he does a masterful job of bringing every human being who may think they're good, every person who thinks their religion is enough, and everyone who doesn't have either, he brings them all to the judgment seat of God and found guilty. That's Romans chapter 1 all the way through chapter 3, verse 20. And then from 21, 3, all the way to the end of of 4, we find the glorious doctrine of justification by faith. We have the battle cry of the Reformation. Uh, We have Paul explaining justification by faith apart from works, apart from religion, and that through the father of faith, Abraham. 
And so he would use Abraham to show the Jews that, yes, you are as guilty because Abraham wasn't justified by his works. And he would also throw in David. So those are the two pillars, you know, of the Jews would have been Abraham and David. And yet he uses both of them to show that they're guilty and that justification is only by faith. So that's chapter 4. And then we come into chapter 5. And chapter 5 begins some foundation work is he's laying foundations in chapter 5 to take us into the most important and the practical portion of Romans, which is Romans 6, 7, and 8. Romans 6, 7, and 8 describes the Christian life. It describes how to live the Christian life based on the doctrine of justification that is unfolding from chapters 4 and chapter 5. And in chapter 5, as we saw from verses 1 up to verse 11, he gives the assurances. These are, you, you could be assured because you've been justified by faith. This is what God gives you. And he comes out of the gate with the wonderful words, there is no condemnation all through this section. You are free from that. And then in chapter 5, 12, which we're in today, through 17, the next bridge He's going to show us the two identities. Uh, yes, that would be my granddaughter. Uh, that, would be, that would be her. And so, and amen, amen for crying babies in a church. And it doesn't bother me at all, Alice, let it go. So, so what we have then in verse 12 all the way through 17 Uh, We have the two identities of humanity. Now, I I gave you this background, this for reason. This is why. We need to know what we were. We need to understand that Romans 1 all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, that's us. One of the dangers of being a Christian is to forget what you was. Forget where you were in Adam. Forget uh, how we were the chief of sinners. To forget our own failings. Because if we don't remember that, we will have all the outward looking of a Christian and not the inward realities of being a Christian. You will have all the trappings of a Pharisee in Christian garb, but you will not have the joy of what it means to be a Christian. And so it's critical that we never forget where we came from. And so Paul has done that. And in chapter 5, he's going to show us that there are two, two marks of humanity. There are only two. The human race consists of two, two separate humanities. There are those who are in Adam and there are those who are in Christ. That's the only two. And when we learn to see all of humanity through those identities, then as Christians, we have compassion for those still in Adam. We have pity for those outside of Jesus Christ. And that we're, we're, we're quick to fall on our faces begging God for the salvation of sinners who are blinded because they are in Adam in chapters 1 all the way through 3.20. And conversely, when we're in Christ... By remembering that what we were in Adam, it it really strengthens our relationships together because we know that we're still failing people. We still still fail. We still fall short. And so what we're going to do now for the next couple weeks is we're going to work our way through verses 12 through 17. And today, the human race, the human race, and today is, is all about being in Adam. It's a gloomy picture. 
It's a real gloomy picture. But the gospel isn't glorious until you see how gloomy it is without the gospel. Until you see what the glorious gospel has done uh, because of who we are in Adam, you won't marvel over the gospel. In fact, you will forget the gospel. And so what we find then is two identities, verses 12 through 17. And every one of us and everyone in the sound of my voice, we are in one of these two humanities. We are either in Adam or we are in Christ. And so there is no, you, there's no third option when it comes to humans. We are either dead in Adam or we are alive in Christ. And as a Christian, that brings tremendous assurance to you. Because when you go through those times of doubts and fears, am I a Christian? Am I a Christian? I've had, I had someone say, I've asked Christ to save me a thousand times. You know, I've, been, I've, been, I've dealt with lack of assurance in Christians. I've dealt la- with lack of assurance in this Christian. And so when you get down to the, to, the, to the bare bones of humanity, there is tremendous assurance in identifying which humanity you are in. Because if you are in Christ, you know what that means? That means you have a desire for God. That means that you want holiness. That means that you want free from sin. And you battle all those things. And you may have doubt, but you could just look at yourself and say, I'm not that person anymore. I'm now a new person, and yes, I'm a new person who struggles, and I'm a new person who has doubts, and I'm a new person who has fears, but I have new desires because I have a new heart because I'm in Christ. And so be be assured by these two humanities. But if you're not in Christ today, I'm going to describe you. And the, the picture is not pretty. And if you are in Christ, I'm going to describe what we were so that we'll have a greater appreciation for the gospel and we'll have a greater awareness of the amazing love of God, of how patient and kind and loving and merciful and on and on he is to those in Christ. Well, let's take a look then first, verse 12. We're going to look at four truths about Adam. Now, we're only going to cover verses uh, 14 Uh, 12 through 14 today, only three verses. That's all we're going to get through. And so this is what we have. The first thing we see in Adam, verse 12, is that sin enters into the world. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you're probably sitting there, and it may have crossed your mind, I already know that. Be very careful with those terms. I already know that. Because you you, you don't need new truth. You need to be reminded constantly of the timeless truth. And look what verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into or entered the world through one man, sin enters the world by Adam. The language sounds kind of soft, doesn't it? It's like he's opening a door and walking through. Friends, when sin entered into the world, it was not a quiet entrance. It was violent. It was an intruder. It was an invader. It was not meant to be. And it doesn't just come sweeping in there with ease. Sin ruptured. Sin ruptured an eternal relationship that the choice created being had with the creator. And one of the underlying problems in much of evangelical Christianity, if we can use that word today, 
is we have softened the word sin. We don't know how bad it really is. And, and the consequences of that. Charles Hodge said, sin invaded the race. And every true Christian, you know it. You know every day that you live Romans 7. And you feel the tension within you. The things I want to do, I can't do, I don't do. And the things I want to do, I don't do either. I'm a mess. And that's the greatest Christian in the world who said that, Paul. You know as a Christian, you've got this unwelcome person in you. You have this, this invader of your soul that fights against you all the time. And if you're a Christian today and you're, you're not aware of that inward tension, I would question whether you're a Christian. If you don't daily find this tension inside of the Spirit wanting you to do this and your flesh and the remaining sin warring against that, as Paul would say, that is the whole issue of the Christian life, one of constant warfare within. And it's a warfare that came because of verse 12. Because sin enters the world by Adam. Well, how did that happen? Now, if you have any thoughts whatsoever saying, well, that was Adam, that's not me, dismiss that. Because when you see humanity divided by two, then you see how God deals with humanity. The Puritan pastor Thomas Goodwin, 17th century Englishman, he said this, quote, In God's sight there are two men, Adam and Jesus Christ. And these two men have all other men hanging at their girdle strings, end quote. What is Goodwin saying? He's saying that God deals with every single individual based on you being in Adam or in Christ. That's how he deals with us. And so when we see what Adam did, Adam becomes the representative head of all humanity. Just like Abraham is the representative head of the father of faith... Adam becomes a representative head. It's like a domino, and we'll see that more when we, as we move on. It's like he's the first domino, and so sin enters through, through Adam. He falls, and from then on, every single domino falls, and that includes us. Well, when did he do this? Genesis 2, 15, I'll read it to you. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. All was well. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. We'll see this more in verse 14. But what we have is Adam making a willful choice to trespass a forbidden boundary which resulted in sin. Sin is falling short of the mark of God. You know what sin in its very essence is? Is sin, is sin is us falling short of reflecting the glory of God as us being his image bearers. That's what sin is. Sin is falling short of reflecting what we were created for. You know, you know what a trespass is? A trespass is, you've seen it, you've seen signs, no trespassing. A trespass is, it's a, it's a boundary that you are not allowed to cross. And so what does Adam do? He trespasses a known boundary. And as a result, sin enters, which now makes him incapable of fulfilling his created purpose, and that is to reflect the image of his creator. Friends, when you understand salvation is that, 
you've got a right understanding. Salvation is not about you just being free from the wrath of God. Salvation is God in his tremendous love sending his son to bear our sins, our trespasses, all of that, so that you and I could be restored for our created purpose. And our created purpose is not to just escape hell. Our created purpose is to daily reflect the glory of God as restored image bearers. Now, granted, we don't do that perfectly, but we certainly can do that sincerely. And so Adam then, sin comes into the world. And what he did, not only trespassing that boundary, but I want you to understand that by sin coming into the world through Adam, the only means of happiness has been removed. When sin entered the world through Adam, verse 12, came into one one man. Sin is not soft. Sin is not, I made a mistake. Sin is not an addiction. Sin is is an aggressive trespass against a boundary established by our creator that has ruptured the relationship and rendered us incapable of fulfilling our purpose in life. And it also removed the only means of happiness. That's how bad sin is. And if you and I, even as Christians, if we try to find happiness outside of the gospel, we will not do that. God has made it very clear that you will find contentment and satisfaction and purpose in one person, and that is his son. And that's what makes the glory of the gospel. The gospel is not just getting the wrath removed from us. The gospel opens up this rich treasure chest of relationship. That we are able to daily dig into the wells of salvation and taste of the goodness of the Lord and find our all in all in Him with a deeper yearning for more of Him. That's how you know you're a Christian. That's how you know you're in Christ. Let's look at verse 12 continuing. Not only did sin enter the world by Adam, the relationship is ruptured. Happiness is now gone. You go out there in the street and you go and walk around or talk to your neighbors and ask the question, do you want to be happy? How many people are going to say no? <laughs> oh, no, I'm, 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 I'm all good being miserable. I'm all good. You know what? And, and a vowed atheist, if there is such a thing, ask the atheist, do you want to be happy? Of course I want to be happy. And you look around the world today, you know what it's doing? It's, it's, it's following the path of King Solomon. Ecclesiastes. Remember Ecclesiastes? We did that a few years ago. What did King Solomon do? He tried everything under the sun. I think it's chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. He had all the money in the world, and he bought whatever he wanted to to buy happiness, to have happiness. And he went through that. Read Ecclesiastes. If you want to get a good calibration on the life today, read it. Is Solomon went through, well, I'll try this, I'll have parties, I'll have concubines, I'll have, uh, I'll have gardens, I'll have servants, I'll have all these things. And so he gets them all, and you know what he says? Vanity, vanity. You know why? Because of what Adam did. Because Adam, by his sin, ruptured the relationship and severed the only source of happiness. If you're not a Christian today, I beg you, stop trying to find happiness where you'll never find it. Run to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to make you happy, and every day he's not happy in Jesus. I'm not saying that. 
What I am saying is, is you're going to find a soul contentment knowing that you are prepared for eternity and knowing that you have a companion of all companions that's going to walk with you through all the valleys of life. And if you're a Christian today and you're trying to find happiness in Christ and in the world, you are not happy. I don't care what you try to tell me. You say, well, I'm happy, I'm content. No, you're not. Because God will not let you to do that because he's a jealous God. You will find happiness and contentment in Christ alone, not Christ plus. I'm not questioning whether you're a Christian. I'm just questioning your maturity if you're trying to have your foot in both worlds. But let's move on. Look at verse 12 also. Here's what else happens. Not only does sin enter into the world by Adam, but what is the consequence? And they're most severe. Death. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and death through sin. Now remember what God warned Adam about. He says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Now he's not, he's not there yet. God in his love gave him the boundary. And by the way, if you think that God's commandments are burdensome, if you think God's commandments are restrictive, I had a man playing basketball. He's still a dear friend. He, He grew up. He told me one time, he goes, yeah, I, I should be a Christian. He said, but there's still a lot of things I want to do that's fun. Christian, when you look at what happened here, is you're going to get a perspective here as a Christian. And Adam comes along and he hears this, this, this word. God gives him a boundary. And Christian, if you think God's commandments and God's are restricting your life, then you don't understand it. The greatest freedom and the greatest joy in life comes by living within God's boundaries. Comes by living in obedience to his word. Well, so God looks at Adam and says, when you eat this, you will die. Now, I I was reading this. Now, remember, he hasn't done this yet. And I kept thinking, I wonder what it sounded like. Adam hears the word die? What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, God, God's been so good to us, so good to me, and, uh, but he says, if I do this, I'm going to die. It doesn't sound good, but I don't know what it is. You ever think about that? He didn't know this. And friends, there's a lesson right there for us. You have no idea the consequences of the sin that you're playing with. As a Christian, if you're toiling with sin or you're playing with temptation, you have no idea the results that's going to happen if you let that go. If you eat the fruit, if you say, well, it's just a little thing, you don't know the consequences of what you're going to do. Well, what do we have? He died. He died. As I told you, and I believe we suffer, I mean, we we suffer in a culture that softens sin. We also try to our, in vain, to soften death. We try to soften death. I've did quite a few funerals in my 20-some years here, 150 plus. And I've had funerals of unbelievers. And you sit there with the family, and it just breaks my heart. They'll sit there and say, well, he or she, they don't suffer anymore. They've gone to a better place. Or this, well, he passed away. You know what that is? That is trying to soften the painful reality of death. 
Death isn't just passed away. The Bible calls death an enemy, the last enemy. And when you look at death, when you look at death, it is a destroyer, it is a robber, it is a murderer. There are people in the sound of my voice sitting here in this room right now that are suffering the evil and the mercilessness of death because they're sitting alone because a loved one has gone by way of death. And every one of us has been touched by death. Every one of us knows the pain of death. The Bible doesn't make death soft at all. It's a consequence of what Adam did. And it's not restricted to just Adam. Again, in verse 12, look what follows next. And it's kind of in reverse order. We have here that sin entered by one man, Adam, and then death. Now he says, so death spread to all men because all sin. So there's, there's, a, there's an inverted thing here. Adam sins death. Paul would say, all people are going to die. And all people are going to die because of sin. So it's connected. And what we see here, then death is imputed to all humanity. Now, I know that you're going to say, well, I know I'm going to die. I know I'm going to die. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 says, For if by one man came death, for as in Adam all die. Job knew it. Job 30, verse 23, For I know that you will bring me to death. There's not a single one of you would look at me in a conversation and say, Well, I know I'm going to die. But I would respond to you because I've been thinking about death a lot this year. And, and I would respond to you and I said, What difference does that make in your life right now? You know when David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, do you know what that is for us? It's every day. Right now, you are in the valley of the shadow of death. Your death is certain. My death is certain. The time of that death is not. I, I was reading an interesting book. I've recommended it before. It's by Michael Whitmer. It's not a very, it's not a very big book. Um, easy read. The title of it is The Last Enemy. Well, if you're familiar with the Bible, then death, last enemy. That's what he writes about. Chapter 1 is titled Shock. That itself is enough to just grip, grip you. I've got to find out what he's talking about. This is how he opens his book. You are going to die. Take a moment to let that sink in. You are going to die. One morning the sun will rise and you won't see it. Birds will greet the dawn and you won't hear them. Friends and family will gather to celebrate your life. And after you're buried, they'll return to the church for ham and scalloped potatoes. Soon your job and your favorite chair and spot on the team will be filled by someone else. The rest of the world may pause to remember and it will give you a moment of silence if you were rich or well-known, but then it will carry on as it did before you arrived. And Solomon says, There is no remembrance of men of old. Even those who have yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Ecclesiastes 1.11. You are going to die. What a crushing, desperate thought. And get this, as I close this paragraph. But unless you swallow hard and embrace it, you are not prepared to live. End quote. Remember I told you that when Adam sinned, he, he, he forfeited what his creative purpose was, and that is to reflect the glory of God as an image bearer. Do you know what one of your primary purposes is in life? It's to prepare for the next one. Your primary, one of your primary purposes in life is to prepare for the next one. 
And that means you, you got to think about your death. And I'm not talking about in, in a morbid way. I'm talking about in a wise way. Because you are in the valley of the shadow of death today because sin came into the world. And because one man brought that down and it passed down to all of us. A year from now, some of you may not be here. Six months from now, some of us may not be here. Death comes to all. And Paul would say that because Adam died, you're going to die too. And we are not prepared to live if we're not prepared to die. And the stark reality of death, the stark reality of death, as we see in verses 12 on, is what makes the gospel so wonderful. Because in the gospel, we have the only answer to death. We'll see more of that in verse 15 uh, through 17. I'd like to just jump on that because it's so great. I'd just like to skip all this. All this death and sin. And, but friends, my, my, my mission today is for us to understand what happened in Adam. And how it applies to us. Because if you don't get that, how do we rejoice in the gospel? How do, we, how do we just magnify the person of Jesus Christ if we don't know what happened to us because of our inter, uh, inseparable union with Adam? And Adam didn't just make a mistake. Adam brought human misery into existence. It wasn't long out of that the first murder happened with Cain. And it's gone south ever since. And friends, you need to know this so that you can warn your friends and you can talk to your neighbors. You can have a intelligent conversations all the way back in creation and show them this is why the world is. You don't have to beat them down and say, repent, sinner. You don't have to call them vipers. You can just love your neighbor and they are so afraid and so un, unhinged what's going on in the world today. You could come alongside and say, hey, let, you want to know why it's like it is? I want to tell you about Adam. Oh, yeah, the guy that ate the fruit. Yeah, but I want to tell you what, that hap- what really happened. People will listen. And you can love them. You can love them in Genesis to the gospel. And so this death thing, I want to just talk about death. Yeah, I know it's pretty uplifting. I mean, I got it. <laughs> Listen, I mean, this was not easy. I mean, it's, but, you know, from a personal side, it became really real when I had that stroke. And so I started thinking about my own mortality. It's easy when you officiate a funeral and you're talking about a crowd and you challenge them to face their own mortality. But when you're laying in a hospital bed and you're thinking, wow, wow, it, this happens to other people. This doesn't happen to me. And some of you are battling cancer. Some of you got some other things that are going on that are pretty, even life-threatening. But friends, that's the hope of the gospel. Because we sing the the great hymn, Up from the grave. Don't put me on the music team. (laughs) But up from the grave he arose. And because uh, he's a mighty conqueror over death... We can look death and look at it for what it is. And we, can, we can quote the language of Paul in Corinthians in victory saying, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your hurt? You have been conquered because up from the grave he arose. 
But I want you to think about death and just how broad it is. First, there's physical death. We all know that. Read Genesis 5 one time. There's nine individuals. It marks the generations of Adam. After every one of them, with the exception of Enoch, it ends with these words, he died. He died. He died. Except Enoch. Enoch was taken. And I told you that death is is a certain thing, and we all know we're going to die. We just don't know when. I think it's very important that we think often about that one funeral that it is for certain that we're going to attend, and that is ours. We're going to attend at least one more, and it'll be ours, unless Jesus comes back. I think there's two things. This is a side note, but it is what it is. There's two things that should shape the Christian life every day. Number one, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Every author in the New Testament focuses with eagerness the second coming of Christ. That should shape our lives. The second thing that should shape our lives is death. Because one of the dangers that Christians do, and I can, I'm guilty of this at times myself, one of the dangers you do is you suffer spiritual procrastination and you put off what you know to do today to a not promised tomorrow. And what happens if the Lord says, today's the day, Jim? So physical death, we all got that. But there's another aspect of death. It's spiritual death. Adam died immediately when he ate that fruit. But he didn't die physically. What did he die? He died spiritually. I know you know this. But I want, you, I want you to grasp the magnitude of this. How do we know he died spiritually? Because of his relationship with God was not the same. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. That's spiritual death. Remember when I said when Adam uh, heard the warning, if you eat this, you're going to die? He had no idea what that meant. Before the fall, Adam had no idea what it was like to be afraid. There was nothing to be afraid of. I can't fathom that. Now, I, I, am, I am a chicken little guy. I mean, the sky's falling all the time in my life. And I'm not proud of that. I have this negative, uh, I have this negative outlook, which is wrong. And I, I can easily get afraid or fearful. And there's things in your life that make you afraid too. Where did that come from? It came from the garden. And the evidence of spiritual death is this unhealthy fear. That you're ruptured in your relationship with God. You have no means of of courage. You have no means of strengthening. And so spiritual death is marked by a separation of relationship with the living God. Ephesians 2.12 says, Paul says, you're separated from Christ without God. That's spiritual death. And here's what it is. You, if you're not in Christ, you are the walking dead. If you're not a Christian today, you are the walking dead. You're already spiritually dead. You're just waiting for a physical death. And so every single person in Adam that's alive is are the walking dead. 
Paul, would says, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Dead people don't walk, do they? Spiritually dead people do. Obviously, physically dead people don't. He said, you walked according to the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He says, even you were dead in your trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. So there's from the in Adam, in Christ. Well, let me help you. If you're, if, let me help you understand if you're spiritually dead or not today. It's not going to be hard. Do you have a desire for God? Do you have a desire for heaven, not the place, but the person who occupies heaven? Do you have a desire for the Bible? Do you have a desire to obey the Bible? Do you have a desire for God's people? Do you have a desire to be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit? Do you have a hatred for sin? Not because of the consequences that you're afraid the tyrant God that you don't know is going to punish you. No. Do you have a hatred for sin because it killed Jesus? And do you have this this war going inside of you that you long for holiness and you long to be like him. But you had this tension that just sometimes you cry and you weep because you can't love him like he deserves. You can't worship like he... Do you have all those? If you are, you're spiritually alive. If you don't have those, you are spiritually dead. You are dead. You can attend church all you want to. You can hear sermons all you want to. You can read good books all you want to. But if you don't have these hungers and desires for the things of God, you are spiritually dead. Or you are so backslidden as a Christian that you need to get alone and let him expose to you all the things that has got you where you are. That's spiritual death. We have the example of the prodigal son as the, as the spiritually dead person. Remember what the father said? He saw him coming down the road. He said, party time. My son who was dead is now alive. It's the spiritually dead person who's been made alive in Christ. But there's another, there's another death, not only the physical death, spiritual death that Adam, Adam knew, but there's the second death too. The second death. The second death is referred to four times in the Revelation. The second death is actually spiritual death that goes into eternity. Spiritual death has the time and space here if you're outside of Christ. But if you die in that condition, that spiritual death that you had in this life, it turns into the second death, which is identified as the lake of fire. Revelation 20, 14 through 15, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The lake of fire, the second death. And anyone whose name was not written in the book of life or who are not in Christ... He, has, he will be thrown into the lake of fire. The names not written in the Lamb's book of life are condemned to spend eternity in the lake of fire. That is the second death. Their bodies had died once, now they must die again. John Flavel said, quote, The eternal death, this is the second death, is separation both of body and soul from God, which is the misery of the damned, end quote. Adam's imputation of death as a consequence of sin has now been imputed to all of us. Not only death, but look at verse 12 again. Death spread to all men, 
and now because of all sin. So I can't just look at Adam and say it's all his fault. I stand guilty because I'm in Adam, but I also stand guilty because I'm a sinner. And I'm a sinner by choice. I'm a sinner by nature. Romans 5.12d says, because all sinned. You know, uh, you may be familiar with the New England Primer. The New England Primer was the first reading primer. Uh, The American colonies used it. It was one of the most successful educational textbooks of the 17th century. And it became the standard uh, in the 1790s for schooling. It's interesting if you read the New England Primer, and you can, you can find it, is that it lays out the alphabet, and it lays it out scripturally with rhyme. I was going to read the whole alphabet to you, but I'm not. I'll just read the, uh, you know, there were three. I want to read A, B, and C. This is how they taught in school the alphabet. Man, let's go back to the Primer. This is what A is. A, in Adam's fall, we sinned all. Well, there's the universality of sin. B, heaven to find the Bible mind. C, Christ crucified for sinners died. And that's how the primer goes throughout all the alphabet. The point is that A starts out with everyone has sinned. All in Adam have sinned. And so I hope you see where we, the, the, the dilemma that we have outside of Christ. Death. Sin, trespasses, ruptured relationship, no means of happiness, eternal death, spiritual death, all those. So when someone says, yeah, I know I sin, don't go soft on sin. Don't go soft on sin. But do this, if you're a Christian and you're sinned against, go over the top with grace. Go over the top with grace because that's what you got. That's what you got in the Lord Jesus, and we'll see that next week. Let's move on quickly. Verse uh, 13 and 14. Now, Paul sh- uh, shifts gears. He's, brought, he, he's once again brought us all to where, he, where we were in Romans 1 and 2, up to uh, verse 20 of chapter 3, that all have sinned, come short of the glory of God, but he's really shown us because of Adam, we have a union in the, in the one humanity. He's laying the groundwork for what will happen next week in verse 15, what we are in Christ or what we receive in Christ. And if you look at verse 14, it seems like he, he kind of shifts gears. He goes back to Moses. He goes back to the law. And remember, he's writing to a mixed congregation. He never lost sight of his audience. And that's important for a preacher and a teacher. Never lose sight of your audience. Is that he knew that his, the audience consisted of Gentile and Jews. And so he goes back to Moses. Let's read it. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Verse 13. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. So if the Jews are going to say, well, listen, there's no sin because there's no law. So Adam's, Adam doesn't apply. And so and Paul says, you can't go there. I wonder if he also didn't tell them. He said, didn't I tell you earlier that you have a conscience? And that your conscience has God written upon it? But he says here, he says, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Death, the consequence of sin, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So there's, there's a couple things going on here. 
First, sin was in the world before the, war, before the law. He said, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Okay, there's no law. So then how is death, since it is the consequence of sin, then how is sin in the world without the law? Well, we get back to what we know of what God has done to every human being. Did Adam need a law to tell him that he disobeyed God? God gave him a clear command. Don't eat it. It may have not have been Mount Sinai, but it was a clear command. And Adam knew. The minute he took that bite, he knew what a huge mistake I made. And so we have then conscience and the clear verbal command of God bringing Adam into condemnation. But as for Moses, well, that did no favor for the Jews because the moral law of God comes down from Moses. And the moral law tells me, thou shalt not covet. And Paul says, because the law came to me, I'm a guilty sinner because I covet. Because the law says so. So what we see then in verses 13 and 14, we see Paul once again bringing everybody together. He's bringing everybody together and says, it doesn't matter. The law of Moses, absolutely, that defines what sin is. But don't forget the original creation. And don't forget that Adam was given the image of God. He was given conscience. And as a result of conscience, he had the barometer that when he did what God told him not to do, he knew. And so the same thing with us. One of the most important things you can do, Christopher Ash, he's a great author. He wrote a book called The Joy of a Clear Conscience. And one of the most precious things that you can have as a Christian is a clear conscience. Even when people accuse you. is that If you are able to stand before God with a judgment seat clarity and, and have Him search you, if you can stand before Him and knowing that whatever is said either of the world or even other Christians of you, if you know that in, in the sincerity of your heart and before the living God that you are free from that, conscious free from that, there is nothing more precious than a clear conscience. Adam had a conscience. Paul would appeal to this. And so in verses 13 and 14, he says, wait. He says, you're all guilty. I've already told you, but I'll tell you again. And all the way back to Adam. And then finally, look at, uh, at the end of verse 14, and we'll close with this. It leads us into the next section. He says that Adam was a type, a type of the one who was to come. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's saying that Adam was a type of Christ. My first thought when I read it is like, no way. How could he be a type of Christ? Well, he could be a type of Christ in a couple ways. The first is what Adam was and had was imputed to people. What Christ is and has is imputed to a people. So the doctrine of imputation makes him a type. Because all that Adam was, we are. All that Christ is as a believer, we are. You see the wonderful, wonderful way God has put his word together. Even the first sinner becomes a type of the redeemer of sinners. And so there is this resemblance because of, implement, uh, of imputation. So he really is a type of Christ. There's also the type by way of contrast. By way of contrast. 
And we'll see that next week with the word in verse 15, but. But. So Paul has brought death to, our, to, to us today. He's brought the seriousness of sin. He's brought to us the, uh, the identity of being in Adam and that we are hopelessly broken and no hope of happiness or, or anything unless we're in Christ. He's, he's brought us down to where we can look at the world as it is in Adam, in Christ, and that's it. And he's painted a pretty, glim, a pretty, pretty uh, gloomy picture. But friends, I want you to remember and I want to remember myself. Because you know what we need as Christians? We need a heavy dose of humility. We need a heavy dose of humility. And humility comes from what? One high view of God and low view of self. But humility also comes by seeing what we were. And how God in his amazing love has come to us in the humble servant Jesus Christ to make us what we are. And so may God help us to remember Adam and remember what we are. And when we want to blast sinners out there and be critical of anyone from the president down, if we want to be critical of sinners out there, let's remember one thing. They're in Adam. And they are acting out of their nature. That's what they do. And that's what we did until God apprehended us and put us in Christ, the hope of glory. Father, thank you so much for this the wonderful truth of the two humanities. Thank you for simplifying things for us in a very chaotic world. A world that has ignored your word, a, word, a world that has ignored your son, and the result is always chaos. And Father, help us to cut through that by seeing the simplicity of humanity divided into two people. Those in Adam that need the Lord Jesus and our mission responsibilities to focus on that, forgive us for not doing that. And may we also see those, our brothers and sisters, in Christ. And may we learn to treat each other as we should, as royalty, daughters and sons of the King, and that we would encourage one another in the good fight that we fight against the remaining elements of Adam within us. And so, Father, help us to think on these things. In Jesus' name, amen.